uh, I used to play football for CFM United, which was our church's first football team. And um, after some fantastic years of that, we we had a real heart to start a second team. Uh, so we started Locomotive Canfeth, and uh, together with a, a couple of others, we defected to, well, we kind of um, were the backbone of starting that team. And uh, you can guess that when I received a new nickname from the lads from my previous team, synonymous with the person that we're looking at tonight, Judas. So I became Judas because I betrayed my old team and joined the new team. There are some characters in history. Brutus probably would be remembered as well as a treacherous man who stabbed somebody in the back. But very often, whether we're talking about politics, sports, friendship, the name Judas became synonymous to somebody who betrays, to somebody who will let you down, to somebody who isn't who you think it's going to be. And as part of the characters around the Easter story, uh, Judas, really, we don't know a lot about his background, about his life prior to meeting Jesus. His name is Iscariot, which just simply means man from Carioth, which commentators would often think that it relates to a particular place in southern Judea named Keriot. And uh, very often the people around that area would be recognized as a reference in Joshua 15, 25. It's about 15 miles south of Hebron. And interestingly enough, he was um, the only apostle, or, or at least one of the very few apostles, who wasn't from Galilee. All the other apostles were from Galilee, from the north. So he was a southerner. The implication of that is that very often the northerners seem to be more tolerant of the Roman authorities, while the southerners seemed to be more nationalistic. So that gives you a tiny little glimpse into potentially um, Judas's very sketchy background, not a lot about him, but he potentially could have been somebody who had an undertone of nationalism in him. We're going to look at a few passages, so you might want to have, if you've got a Bible and you want to leaf through it, you might want to open. And the first passage is in Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. And this is the first thing I want to say. He was chosen by Jesus. Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, and Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Wow. I mean, this is a privileged place to be. This is a privileged group of people to be part of. This is absolutely amazing that Judas was probably part of the most elite group that experienced the closeness of the Lord Jesus. In a tremendous way. He would have had first-hand experience of being with Jesus 24-7, so this is not just like being in a class or taking watching a webinar with somebody famous. This is doing life together from morning till evening. He listening to Jesus' teaching. I mean, just imagine, I don't know if you ever are in a place where you're just 
thinking, I wish I could have been there when Jesus did that teaching. He, he would have heard Jesus talk about the narrow and the wide way, or the man who built his house on sand and the man who built his house on the rock. The Sermon on the Mount, everything, Judas would have been there. He would have seen the miracles of Jesus. Just think for a second, if I was to ask you hypothetical question, which ones of the miracles of Jesus you would have loved to be there? I'm sure we all have a favorite one. But Ju Judas would have been there at every single one of them. Think of Jesus calming the storm and just speaking into it when they thought they were going to die. Just think of Jesus' miraculous feeding of 5,000 plus people. And probably the pinnacle of them all. Just think of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Man alive. Judas was very privileged. He heard the teaching of Jesus. He seen the miracles of Jesus. He probably even heard the, the, the real warnings that Jesus had given to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And again and again, he really challenged their self-righteousness and hypocrisy. He was called to ministry. Don't lose the, 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 the sense of this. He was part of the group, the 12 that were called together, and Jesus gave them authority over all demons and to cure diseases and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Jesus is investing in this group that Judas is part of. Authority to preach, heal, and deliver. Amazing. But you know what? Even the best environments, even the best examples do not provide a guarantee that somebody makes it, spiritually speaking. He had everything. He was really part of the inner circle of Jesus and had everything. He had a teaching. He had the example. He had the authority. He had a ministry, if you want. He had everything. And yet... Judas doesn't make it. I don't know about you, but that is haunting. That is really haunting. The fact that you can be in such proximity of Jesus to get the teaching, to be anointed for ministry, to see the miracles, and still to drift away and betray Jesus. But maybe there's a real encouragement as well there. The first thing that strikes me is the haunting sense in which the proximity doesn't mean intimacy. But also, I know that so many of you, whether your parents, whether your leaders, sometimes struggle with a sense of, have we failed people? There are people that seem to be close to Jesus, but now they are not. And we blame ourselves and we feel like we failed them. And we feel that maybe we haven't given them the best example, the best environment. Let me encourage you. It isn't about that. Jesus could have leveled that discouragement to himself. It isn't about that. It remains a choice with a person. And for Judas, he became compromised. John chapter 12 verses 4 to 6 but one of his disciples Judas Iscariot Simon's son that's the only other uh, bit of family background that we know his father was called Simon who would betray him said why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor 
this he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. There's an insight that at some point, and we don't know when and how and where, Judas's heart was compromised. It's interesting that you see his reaction exposed when he faces the, the, the sheer lavish, wasteful joy that a woman shows towards Jesus by breaking that bottle of fragrant oil and anointing Jesus. And he gets rattled. And what's inside becomes exposed. And we know from what John is writing that he was greedy, that he seemingly was stealing. And one thing we know is that he was very hypocritical. He judged this woman and Jesus defended her. It makes me wonder, and it's probably hypothetical, and I'm probably using some license here, but I wonder if for Judas, ministry maybe just became a selfish vehicle for popularity and power. Maybe he expected Jesus to be, if he was a real nationalist, to be the one that leads the insurrection against the Romans. And maybe he slowly began to get it, that Jesus was like not like an earthly king. Jesus was a different kind of king. But that issue, his attitude towards money and potentially greed and the judgmentalism that was there became the entry point for the enemy. That was the Trojan horse. We all remember the Greek legend. That was a Trojan horse, something of an entry point, a little open door. If you want the imagery of a fortified castle, this is an underground tunnel that gets exploited for the enemy to come in and he becomes compromised. But ultimately, he made bad choices. Listen to the words that the gospel writers are giving. Luke writes in Luke 22, verses 3 and 4, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. John, writing John 13, verse 2 and 27, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. And then he writes again, Satan entered into him. Matthew writes, and one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And accounted out 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. John in verse 21 of chapter 13 says, when Jesus had said these things, this is at the Last Supper. When Jesus predicted, prophesied, that one would betray him. Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Peter gets John to ask who the traitor is. And Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I dipped it. 
and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after that piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. See, Judas was not a victim. It was his choice. He went and agreed to sell Jesus. I'm blown away by the fact that he has a, a, a final opportunity to, to turn, to repent. Jesus is showing the most unbelievable love as he washes the disciples' feet and teaches them about his unbelievable love through his death on the cross, through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. Jesus showed him and taught him what real love is like. And yet instead of repenting, instead of changing, he powers on in his sinful decision. It was his choice. And the irony is that he sinks so deep in sin that he masquerades this false love for Jesus. And even when he betrays him, he does it with a kiss. Contrast that with Peter. Peter betrays Jesus as well, three times after being warned, after being the head boy amongst the disciples. Yet there's a way back. While Judas kills himself without repenting, without turning back to Jesus, without seeking his grace, Peter repents. He's sorry. He receives Jesus's grace and there's a way back that leads to an incredible ministry. This is a sad story and is filled with real warnings. I love what S.D. Gordon, well, over a century ago wrote. He said this, it is startling to think that Satan can actually come into the heart of a man in such close touch with Jesus as Judas was. And more, Satan is cunningly trying to do it today. Yes, he can get in only through a door open from the inside. Every man controls the door of his own life. Satan can get in without our help. We're a culture that is addicted to excuses. We've got an excuse for everything that we do. And we're so quick to shift the blame and so slow to take ownership. But this is a reminder about the fact that it can be incredibly dangerous to be close to Jesus and yet end up betraying Jesus. On this Monday, Thursday, as I look at Judas's life, I want to check my own heart, my own life. For Judas, it probably was hunger for power and possessions that drove him. What is it that drives me away from Jesus and not towards Jesus? I think for me, this is a, a very stark warning that I can be hearing the teaching of Jesus. I can be seeing the example of Jesus. I can even be anointed with the power of Jesus. Yet end up 
betraying Jesus. And certainly the things on the Christian scene, the revelations in the last few months of men that were high up in terms of ministry and impact and influence, sadly give us the same story, the story of Judas, repeated again. So for me, it's an invitation to an examination. It's an invitation to come clean. It's an invitation to say, Holy Spirit, will you shine your light on my life? And the areas where I'm close to betraying Jesus, or I may have betrayed Jesus, the areas of my life where the allegiance to the King of Kings is being challenged by the allegiance to the kingdom of I, It's an opportunity, not just to introspection that makes us feel bad about ourselves and we are left wallowing in our sin, helpless, but it's an invitation to experience the grace of Jesus. Let's not be Judases. Let's be like Peter. Let's be those who may fail, but come in confidence towards him. But let's take it seriously. This is a reminder. This is a turning point. This is an incredible opportunity. John Piper wrote these words, and again, they're very, they're very sobering. He was talking about us pursuing our worldly, selfish, Jesusless pursuits that are not the kingdom of God, that are self-centered. And he says this, we're fondling our little roaches, our little scorpions, our little tarantulas. They're so fuzzy and warm. And then the light goes on. That's the story of Judas. He pursued something that he thought was going to bring him satisfaction and happiness. And it ended up so ugly. So my invitation tonight is to come to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives. To have an opportunity for repenting, for turning back to God, to surrender to him. To not just be in proximity of him, but to be in a life of intimacy with him. And to embrace grace. His grace is amazing. Amen. 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 As, um, as we give ourselves a chance to um, just respond to that and to um, perhaps get ready for sharing communion together, which we're going to do in a few moments' time, um, we're going to have the chance to sing. And, um, and Phil has uh, very kindly, um, with his arm up his back, uh, very, very kindly agreed to lead us, and I really appreciate that. So I'm going to share my screen and the words will, um, words will be there to follow. I think many of you will know the song very well. Um, Phil, if you could unmute as well so that we can hear you. And then after we've sung, um, we'll share communion together after that. So if, if, you, uh, if you'd like to join in with that, maybe have those uh, bread and the juice close by. So let's... Do this. Right. Um, 
can you hopefully you can see the words okay thank you very much Thank you, Phil. Um, what a what a beautiful song that is. Um, sometimes the hymn writers or songwriters are able to put things down in such a way um, that just articulates what we want to say. 
sometimes can't quite find the words to say and that's a lovely song to sing and uh, words to be reminded of. I'm going to um, share communion now in the in the best the best way that we can in this season that we find ourselves in. So I want to um, read just a few verses from um, Luke, and uh, this is particularly what we're remembering today. Um, so I'm in Luke chapter twenty-two, and um, I'm going to start at verse 14. Jesus and his disciples have been sharing the Passover meal together. Um, so a really special, a really significant time um, for them. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Let's just kind of place ourselves in, in the room and uh, just the, the intimacy of, that Jesus has with his, uh, with his apostles, with his followers, all that they've walked through over the last three years that, that they've seen and heard and um, in this incredible time. And they recline at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before. I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to the man who betrays him. We'll stop there. One of the things that I always so appreciate about sharing communion together is that as we share we know we're doing something that the Lord Jesus has asked us to do. <laughs> we're, 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 we are walking in obedience as we do it. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And there's a simplicity to that and there's a profoundness to it and a depth to it, which is, uh, which is so beautiful. And so if you have um, bread with you, and if you would like to, to take a piece and to, to break it, as we remember Jesus' body broken for us. And in your own time just now, thank the Lord and take the bread.
it's um, so significant, isn't it? That bread that's broken and enters into our lives. Jesus' body broken, that he will come in and live in us. Likewise, if you have um, some juice with you and you'd like to share, let's remember Jesus' blood, which is shed for us. Say thank you in your own time and take as you're ready. Father, though this celebration and act of remembrance is probably very familiar to us, yet it remains ever special and entirely significant. Father, we've been reminded this evening of some stark warnings from the life of Judas. And we don't take those um, trivially. We, we recognise in our own hearts the, the deceptiveness of sin, the um, reluctance of the flesh to, to die, the ease in which we can um, betray you in, in lots of ways. And we see the price for our sin. And Father, we, um, so we come with repentant hearts um, owning and recognising our need for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. It's remarkable to us as you shared this meal with your apostles, with your disciples, that you shared the meal with even the one who was about to betray you. And yet, Father, we also recognise um, the victory which we celebrate. Father, we, we recognise the price and we recognise the, the victory, the, the, the one sacrifice for all. We recognise that because of what the Lord Jesus has done, that our sins are forgiven, that we are free that we are redeemed, that we have, um, um, as we receive and accept what you've done for us, and as you live within us by your spirit, we have passed from death to life, from darkness to light, from despair to hope, that we are forgiven, that we are yours. And Father, we reverently celebrate what you've done for us, recognising that we're not our own, but bought at a price. Father, we 
we give ourselves again into your hands. We thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Sorry, folks, I'm just...